Beyond Goodbye is a podcast that explores dying, death, and grief, and may contain sensitive or distressing material that could be triggering for some individuals, and is not suitable for all audiences. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Marital status? She asked. Marital status? I panicked. I am married. Wait, no, I'm not. I'm single. Well, sort of. Am I a widower who is single? A single person who had a wife and therefore a widower? Am I still married without a spouse? The receptionist asked again. Sir, marital status? Widower, I said out loud for the first time. When I left the appointment, I sobbed in the parking lot the way that most people cry the day of a person's death. I felt a gut-twisted feeling. I may not stop crying. Welcome back, friends, to episode seven of Beyond Goodbye, Rebuilding Life After Loss. I am your host, Angela Sturm. The short excerpt I'd read at the beginning of our show is from an essay in the Huffington Post written by Dan Fogel, an author, entrepreneur, and semi-retired academic. Here, he is explaining what was going on inside his mind when asked about his marital status after his wife of 45 years, Sue, passed away from cancer in 2018. I think those of us who have lost someone can relate to what Dan described. I know it resonates well with me. I recall the first time I was asked if I had children, do they live here in Minnesota? I was stumped by all the questions and and I really wasn't sure how to answer. In my head, it went something like this. Yes, I have children, but then do I? I have one, but not three anymore. Should I say yes, I have children, but two are deceased? No, 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 no. I should say I have a child, not plural. Is that even anyone's business? Do I need to explain myself? This was an awful place to be. (laughs) Now, when someone asks me if I have children, I say yes. How many? Three. Do they all live close? Yep. And that's it. But I still cry after these encounters. The chatter that goes on inside of us matters. It can be constructive or destructive. That voice might say we should not be happy. Our daughter, son, mom, wife is dead. There's no joy in that. Or this voice might say something like, Would daughter, mom, son, wife really want you in bed all day, quitting your job, crying all the time? It's like the story about the wolf inside us and which one to feed. And in order to find happiness, value, and purpose again, we must focus on feeding the right wolf. We must manage the chatter, encourage or feed the positive voice and quiet the negative one. Our future's potentiality depends on it. The question then becomes how? Everyone is different and we bring our own baggage, constraints, and beliefs that shape our journeys. How can we reconcile loss with our future and find life enjoyable again? Well, in today's episode, my guest, Dan Fogel, has joined me to talk about rebuilding life and finding joy after losing someone we love. Both Dan and I will share some of the transformative ways we've approached our grief, which has contributed to some personal growth and resilience. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Angela. Yeah, I'm I'm real happy that you agreed to join. Um, 
for those of you listening, I Dan wrote this essay that I mentioned at the beginning in the Huffington Post, and I read it, and it really, really moved me. Like I could feel it real deep in my bones. So then that prompted me to reach out to him. Those of you who know me well, I can be a little impulsive. <laughs> so I reached out, not expecting to get any kind of response, asked if he would be willing to speak with us on Beyond Goodbye and kind of share his lost story and journey. And he agreed. So um, we have him here, and I'm very grateful that you've um, agreed to share that and be vulnerable to our audience here. So I'm curious as to, well, first, you know, share your story, but why did you, why did you share that on the Huffington Post? That's pretty vulnerable. It makes you very vulnerable to a very wide audience of people. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't even expect how vulnerable it was. <laughs> so the, uh, basically, the, the, that article is a. Uh, a, a platform or, or, you know, a structure for a larger memoir that I'm writing. And uh, after my wife died, uh, trying to come to grips with that. And one way I did it was to write a lot. And uh, I've been an academic my whole life. So I've been writing in the third person. And all of a sudden, I'm writing in the first person about something very personal. Yeah. My main motivation was really I started to understand that I, I, I was hoping that I could help other people that I could offer something to other people, especially younger couples and younger people who uh, could look at their relationships in a slightly different way uh, and a way that I discovered after my wife died. Mm. So that was um, the primary motivation and is the motivation for me to continue to write. Um, but I was I was shocked by the response because um, the editor told me it was the most read article ever in Huffington Post personal. And that that surprised me. And I got over 400 emails. Uh, oh. One woman uh, sent, uh, not everybody was positive. One woman sent me an email. She says, you're a jerk and a douche. And I wrote her back and I said, yep, that's me too. Uh, oh. So, you know, it's like uh, people have their own responses. They have, they bring their own baggage, if you will. Right. Uh, Right. Um, so, but but it's been gratifying. Most of the emails and and most of the response and uh, and even the negative ones have been people are are resonating with something in there. Right. They're talking about it. Right. I mean, right. that's the point. Part of the point, you know, is to get that dialogue going. Um, that that's that's how I, I envision the podcast a bit is being reaching right. people and wanting people to have conversations around loss and grief and what it does to us and what it does to families. And, and then of course that introspection you talked about, um, you, you read a lot, you went to some therapy, you did some of your own, own work and were surprised by some things. Um, mm -hmm. one of the things you said was that, uh, your perceptions of your wife, Sue and yourself and the marriage changed. Right. How? Yeah, well, excellent. I mean, in a lot of different ways, but I'll be, uh, one thing I realized is that through our life, um, we really, we had this notion that a successful marriage was a long marriage and a successful marriage was a kind of a peace at all costs marriage. So it was non-conflictual. And, mm. uh, and of course, that's a, that's what I call a near enemy, which I use the Buddhist term near enemies, which are things that seem positive, but really can create negative outcomes. And so sometimes we we wouldn't get to the authenticity, the, the, the authentic feelings and, and express those because that comes out sometimes as conflict or comes out very forcefully. Mm -hmm. um, 
So this notion, peace at all costs, is very much, and it's a way that we both grew up uh, too. I think, right. um, and in our families, so there was a rationale why that happened, but uh, didn't realize how powerful it was. So afterwards, that was one major wake up call, and the other was a lot of learning about her and about myself uh, in things that I didn't realize. Like for example, I had my whole ADHD all my whole life, and it wasn't until after Sue died that I said, wait a minute, there's actually a label for all this craziness that I went through, you know, mm -hmm. my behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's some, some of the things and, and uh, incredible. And I, and I learned those through, through talking to other people about her through her journals, um, you know, and reflecting a lot um, on our marriage. Yeah, that's interesting. And you're right. Um, it does, I think, generationally, um, dictate mm -hmm. how relationships go you know you so I, i'd mm -hmm. asked somebody when you said that it brought me back to i was at a high my youngest son zach was a football player and i was at one of his games and there was a, a couple next to me and they had to be in their 80s and, and they had been married forever and i and i asked her i'm like how how are you married for so long you know mine lasted seven years <laughs> and she said because i have to this is how we were we grew up and you get married you don't get divorced and you know when we got married women didn't work and so i relied on him and and as we aged and grew there was no way I could take care of myself alone. And she says, just what you did. It's not now, you know, today where now, I mean, you're lucky to have a marriage last five years, I think. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot of work that goes into a marriage as well. I'm sure, you know, I know my dad talks about that a lot, that it's, you know, it took the first 20 years for them to even like each other and, you know, kind of the joke, but um, yeah, it's, I agree with that. Do you find yourself struggling with anything? For example, in your essay, you express a desire to have another chance to ask Sue some questions. Absolutely. So, do you struggle <laughs> with the fact that you can't know? And and if you could, what would you ask? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I have a chapter in, in my memoir. It's a it's a dream sequence of if heaven had visiting hours. And uh, and the, in there, we I, I think the major thing that I would do is ask a lot more why and tell me more. I don't think there was enough of that. I think we left out those questions in our interactions and we just accepted the initial comments or initial ways of being. Mm. Uh, um, and so this notion of asking why is, is uh, uh, tell me more, how did you feel about that? And honoring that, mm. that's the other right. part of it. Right. So that I found... I found upon reflection that there was many, many points along the way um, that I could have accepted more. I could have not turned off. I probably, you know, after a while, I think Sue just said, well, it ain't worth it because he ain't going to listen anyhow. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and so I'd like to ask her about that. Uh, and because, I, you know, it feels regretful, guilty about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I read recently a book, a fantastic book uh, that I commend to people. It's um, David Brooks, uh, who's a conservative uh, commentator, uh, wrote a book on how to know a person. And he's trying to problem solve political differences amongst people on how you get people to talk together. But it has a lot of resonance for couples, for all sorts of relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, just came out in October. Uh, a fantastic little book. What was the author's name? Uh, David Brooks. 
had to know a person and um uh but anyhow and you know it's almost like grief on grief in a sense because not only are you grieving the loss of the person but your identity changes and and your 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 way of being and all the assumptions you had uh, change and so you're you're trying to come to grips with more than just the loss of the person and yes. uh, so I'm, I'm, I bet you've experienced some of that as well. This, this, how do I, as you referred to it, how do you, how do you call yourself? How do you, how do you identify? Mm -hmm. It's heavy. It's heavy. Um, yeah. I, I remember after that thinking, I, I felt prior to their deaths that I had a pretty good life. Like I was doing things I wanted. I knew who I was, although that's always evolving. You know, you're not, you're not that right. same person that, um, that I was at 20 that I am now. Um, but after that happened, all of that just didn't really have any meaning anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember just sitting in my living room and crying, thinking, I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. Who am I? I know I'm still a mom, but you know, who am I? And um don't I don't think I have that answer yet. I'm I'm working on that and exploring that and trying to, you know, see it through the lens of something exciting and new and you know i'm going to create who i am versus becoming what all of my experiences have have made me um but that that's that's heavy <laughs> it's heavy and it's healthy too right because yeah. so many men for, in particular you know my experience i've been talking to a lot of men who um they read some of my work and or they know that i lost my wife of a long time and they have a similar situation and they don't they hadn't been stopping to think about these mm. things. They want to move on. It's like almost filling a hole, you know, okay, yep. let me get what I had before so that I can just uh, uh, move on. And rather than looking at this as a real privilege, first of all, to grieve, I mean, in a sense, we love somebody. Yeah. And what a privilege to have loved somebody deeply that, that it really affects you that way. And uh, and then also to an opening to to explore some of these issues mm -hmm. um, and that helps to heal. Denying that <laughs> uh, is is perversely, you know, something that would really make us less able to heal, less able yeah. to deal with the loss. I think it drags out that grieving. I, right. I, I'm I'm watching that with my father. Mm -hmm. um, he's just really really struggling to embrace um, where he's at right now and, and, and what he mm -hmm. lost because he cried, he doesn't like to cry and he cries about it and he feels that deeply. And um, <clears throat> he's just, he's really struggling with that. Uh, we're working on it, but <laughs> he's, it's exact, it's exactly how you just described trying to fill that hole to have mm -hmm. what he had when there's, there's no filling that. Um, mm -hmm. So what path are you, have you taken or are you on, or maybe it's both to rebuild from that loss? Like what are some of the steps and things that you've done? I know that you did some research and some writing and, right. you know, therapy, but is there anything else that you have? Well, I started with what I knew best, which was doing the research, reading a lot, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The thing that I've added on to all that was the, um, the uh, reading memoirs, reading people's experiences, mm. and then following up and trying to talk with people um, about specifics that they went through, and that that was one thing. The other thing is that I've I've come up with some some ideas about how to and how 
relationships could be more fulfilling or more deeper or more authentic. I could be more vulnerable. And so as I as I come upon those, I, I, I use them with my daughters, with my friends. And um, and I have to be open because it's a new way for them to relate to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a, a, one daughter in particular, as we've had a conflictual little bit relationships. And so we've been able to heal a little bit uh, using some of this knowledge that I've had and also talking it in the context of my wife. Mm-hmm. Lost their mother. Yeah, you know, I lost my wife, and we were able to talk about that in relationship to her. Yeah. Um, it was difficult for them to admit that, oh, wait a minute. Uh, there was mom, there was the wife, and then there was her. And mm. coming to grips with her as a person was much more difficult for them. Interesting. Yeah. And well, and it's a new way for you too. So there's, you know, little baby steps in that. Um, right. I know for myself, I started out with real small changes. Um, I've always been someone who meditates, but I did that a little more than normal. <laughs> um, and, and then I started really incorporating journaling. Um, and that helped me to kind of shift my perspective, just writing it out, just writing whatever out there. And it helped me to kind of reevaluate my priorities. I would look at some of my life goals that I had written in previous journals to, to now, like those aren't my goals anymore. Um, and then of course I did the therapy and, um, and the research I love to research and, and write and read. So a lot of what you did, um, there as well. Do you find it now that you have like some specific mental health tools, like a mental health toolbox, as an mm-hmm. example, um, from your research and, and therapy? Yeah, I definitely. Uh, like, I, I can give you very specific examples. Uh, one thing that I, I realize, and I, I pass on to a lot of people, is that our bodies, our minds, go through some natural changes after we lose somebody. So there's a woman named Mary Frances O'Connor, who, who talks about the grieving brain, mm-hmm. you know, how we're separated from uh, the brain keeps looking for this person yes. keeps to incorporate them and, and, and has to learn anew uh, the absence. So some learning, some of that was, was very helpful and has been helpful to other people. The other thing is that some of the relationship uh, uh, tools, if you will, I use is don't make assumptions. Don't think things personally, I have some of these kind of mantras that I keep in my mind. And so uh, that have been very helpful. Uh, I don't know if I would have discovered several of those or as forcefully or as usefully mm-hmm. um, had I not gone through this difficult time. Uh, so I don't, I, I would give anything to have Sue back, but uh, I just uh, think that also I didn't want to let myself, and I'm, you know, I'm 76 years old. And I'm at the end of my runway here. So I, and I asked my therapist, I said, does anybody my age really do this? Stuff? She says, nope. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's the same age. <laughs> so, you know, so, but I, but I didn't want to, I didn't really, and that's a way to honor Sue too. I mean, I right. think I really believe that. I think the article was my intent was to, as a cautionary tale, but also as an honor to her. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and i hope she would be proud about it i'm certain she probably was 
um, or is depends on your beliefs, I suppose. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I have Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor's book and she was um, on episode five, which we got a lot of positive feedback. It was, it was a really um, different way to explore and understand grief. And it really does. Um, it really does change not only the brain, but physically like the body. I went through a time where I just, I, my whole body just shut down. I, I could barely walk upstairs. If I did minor cleaning around the house and I sat down, I got stiff. I couldn't move. And I didn't know what was going on. It was the strangest thing. I had been an active athletic person most of my life. And to be at a place where I can barely walk up the stairs, it was scary. I was in and out of doctors and it didn't dawn on me until later, like, uh, duh, you've, you know, right. lost two children and your mom. Plus I'd helped to care for my mom, my brother and I did with my dad until she passed. And it was a lot. And, and, um, and as soon as I admitted that, and then started to take that into account as I did some of more natural things with not just meditation and journaling, but the breathing and changing some of the foods that I was eating and getting out and just being in nature, uh, made a huge difference. Um, I also right. use a lot of creative expression. I find that that's, I've always been kind of a writer and an artist anyhow, but um, I find that is very relaxing and is a relief. And I've recently taken up the saxophone and flute, which I, prior to that, I, I couldn't read a note to save my life. And <laughs> I know that my mom and Jasmine and Matthew would be laughing right now. I, they would say, of course you are. Um, I'm more of a self-taught <laughs> of anything. So I've been teaching myself this and, and, you know, as soon as I get bored with it, it'll catch dust somewhere, but, um, but yeah, I can just hear them laughing and see that. And that brings me joy. And that's the point, right. you know, that's is to, point. yeah, to have some joy and to just think of that and how they would, um, find that to be very me. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. excellent. Uh, and you gave, you gave yourself permission to actually act. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's the interesting thing because, you know, her book, uh, Mary Frances O'Connor's book really helped me say, wait a minute, just relax. Yeah. You're going through a natural process and yeah. uh, see where you can take it and feel it, mm -hmm. feel it and and move on. You know, another woman who really helped me was Brene Brown and her work. She's amazing. She's um, she wrote a book called Atlas of the Heart recently, oh. which is a summary of a lot of her work uh, about labeling emotions and her kind of theory of things, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, but she she talks a lot about. Uh, how emotion works and um, the difference between shame and guilt and oh. uh, et cetera, et cetera. She's really excellent. And um, she's a great speaker and a, and a, a fan. She's on, you can find her on YouTube and yeah. whatnot. She's a professor down at the university of Houston. And, um, and I, and I, and her word, it, her, what she gave me was a language also to talk about my grief. So what I learned from her and what I learned from other people is I listened very carefully to how they talked about it and uh, tried on some things, what not to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so many people are so awkward when they approach you, right? They want to, they don't know what to say to you. Yeah. They get tongue tied. and Yeah. Yeah. We, we had actually an episode on that for supporters on, Excellent. on what to say and what maybe not to say, <laughs> you right. know, and, right. and 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 people change too. I mean, grief is such a strong emotion 
Mm-hmm. And that, and and we know that everything is energy, right? So you have this strong emotion that's just emitting from you and it can fill a room and people get so quiet and uncomfortable and say nothing, or they think it's comforting to say, you'll get over it soon when you know you're never going to get over it, right, <laughs> but yeah. they just, you know, they're just not thinking. They just don't know what to say. And they feel like they need to say something. Or then you something. have those who just stop talking to you and that, you know, uh, you've known uh, for years and years and all of a sudden, you know, you, that they've ghosted you and um, that, mm-hmm. and I'd read stuff like that happens, but to have it actually happen or to have comments that were made. Um, I, I had somebody even reach out to me and want me to comfort her over the loss of my children. Like she was struggling with this. She'd known them for a long time. And I just Mm -hmm. thought that was just so inappropriate. And, um, and yeah, it was hard um, to be around that and also trying to figure out what's going on in my own head. (laughs) Yeah. Right. All, all of that all at once, you know, and one thing it's interesting you mentioned energy because what I've done is, is I've, I've stopped believing that I have to be with certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so people who draw my energy down, I've, I've really distanced myself mm-hmm. from them for whatever reason. I mean, it's not anything that they did specifically. It's the state where I am. Right. And, uh, and I don't have to apologize for that. No, no, <laughs> that's probably one of the biggest changes for me after the kids died, um, was looking at why am I hanging around this person, that person, or, always being the yes person when I don't want to. And, and, and like you said, it might not necessarily be them. It's just me and what I need and what I want and don't exactly. want. Exactly. And I had to stop shaming myself and thinking I was being selfish because selfish isn't a bad thing. Um, depending on how it's, <clears throat> how you use that, how it, how it, what it means to you. And, and if I need not to be around you because it's upsetting. Exactly. You, you know, know it's really interesting. I brought into the narrative. My wife said before she died, she says, you need to find somebody quickly because you really, you, you need somebody in your life like that. And I bought into that. And so six months after she died, I started trying to date and uh, it's crazy online stuff, you know, mm, Yeah, <laughs> 45 years, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, it was really terrible for a while. That was mm-hmm. awful. And uh, and I, I I I turned to myself and I said, what are you doing? You know, why? Just because you bought into that narrative. And so I let it go for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and then when I was ready again, um, I got back into it. But I right. that was way too soon. Yeah. Well, you hadn't even done the, the grieving me. or the work on yourself to right. yeah, to even know what you want anymore, because there's nobody that can replace Sue. No, there's no, no one really. that is going to be to you what she was to you and so um (laughs) understanding that yeah you know understanding that and knowing that you you the next person if you find that person is going to be someone very different who meets other needs for you and yeah and and honors that i mean i yeah right when i woman and she said she said i just got out of a three-year relationship i said why'd you get out of the relationship she said well you didn't want to get married he wouldn't take his pictures down of his dead wife. He spent too much time with his family. And I said, oh, and the problem is what? Right. And, <laughs> and <it> was like, 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And so it was uh, that that late date not only didn't last long, but we never met again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> I think that would be a turnoff, even if you, you know, weren't married yeah, or had right. never been uh, married, you know, had that. This, yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, and I wear I wear the rings or mm-hmm. wedding rings around my neck. And... Yeah. My dad still wears his on his finger. Yeah. Um, so it's been probably what five five and a half years since she right. passed. Right. Yeah, and she's five years before that she was diagnosed. Right. It oh. was a misdiagnosis too. Yeah, I read that in your essay. Oh yeah. my gosh. So I was really angry for a while. I bet. Really I mean, I had to actively forget the radiologist's name and where he worked, and you know, mm. a little bit. Mm. It was uh, awful because uh, she would she potentially be light of day. Right. Right. Um, so do you still, even after, you know, the five years, do you still find yourself having to make like conscious decisions and effort to live fully or has this gotten yes. any easier for you? No, 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 no. It, it actually, it's gotten a little, I don't want to say harder. It's just, it's, it's constant work. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you got to stay with it. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, a combination of trying to write about it and, and at the same time, trying to understand what I'm going through. And as I write, I discover more. Oh, and yeah. If I discover more, you got to deal with it. So, yeah, yeah. Nothing's yeah. free, you know. Right. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, I told one, there was one guy who said, oh, I'm not going to do all that work. I said, then don't, <laughs> because you're going to, you're going to get into a whole, a worse hole. I said, then find a way that you can live peacefully with yourself. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right with that. Now that I now that I'm thinking about that, because my thought has always been, well, if I write about this, if I talk about this, um, it'll it'll be fine, and it won't be something that creeps up on me anymore. But it does open other, you know, it's like peeling back that onion. It's like, right. oh, well, I I didn't even know I had this to address, and <laughs> and now right. I'm working on that part. And then, yeah, you're right. Um, and it's not for everybody. It's 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 a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even bettering yourself is a lot of work without having to deal with grief on top of that. What but would I you say? It for anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't either. Um, I wouldn't either. It is. It's hard. Um, it's hard for anyone, especially newer, and and even my dad, because he's not processing. You know, he's not where I'm at right now, and we all we all do it differently. Um, but I think it's hard to look at it as. It, it was a, a good thing. You know, it was a blessing. And like you said, to actually have found somebody you loved like that and so deeply, mm-hmm. that's a blessing. And that comes with also right. losing them and, and some grief. Um, but it is, it is a lot of work and <clears throat> it mm-hmm. brings up so many things, but I will say that I feel more whole when I do that. And I feel more genuine when I am around people, not just genuine to people, but for myself. And I think that's you know, important to do in general. Yeah. And I thought I was ready, you know, because five years of preparation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like a sudden death. Right. Right. And, right. and it's very different. Um, and so it, it it's, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. I, you just, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I was, but, uh, and we had talked very openly about, you know, life after her. She told me, 
very succinctly. She knew me well, so she told me very succinctly, like, for example, just do one thing at a time because my brain works like a pinball machine. Mm -hmm. I just over the place. Yeah. And I'm likely in to bounce and not make any sense. And so um anyway, but it it still was you know like starting at day one. Yeah. So. Yeah. And my mom had um got diagnosed with bulbar ALS. <clears throat> and eight months after that diagnosis, she died. Hmm. But watching her body deteriorate the way that it did. Uh, she was very, very fit woman. Um, we all thought she would outlive all of us, to be honest. And so when she had this diagnosis, it, it, it dragged on and she got sicker and it was scary. And she was scared. There was absolutely nothing that could be done. There were no treatments. There's no treatments for ALS. And, um, and then, you know, my dad was with her 24 seven. He made a promise that she could stay home and until she couldn't, you know, and then we had to insist that she be brought to a hospice because he couldn't do this by himself. And my brother and I, we still had to work. We couldn't take, you know, all this time off to help care for mom. And so it was really hard. And so I, my dad, I know has some anger uh, towards what's happened and is struggling to really reconcile. Yeah. what he had to do. And that's very different than with Jasmine and Matthew having been murdered. I mean, right. it, it right. was, it went boom, one day they're here and the next day they're not. So um, I don't know that I would want a death to drag out, to be honest. Um, I think that would be harder than somebody who's gone right away. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know because I haven't, I've experienced it with my mom, but she was my mom. She wasn't my spouse or my child. So right. Um, yeah. It's hard to see him, to see him with that. It's it's a lot to deal with. Mm -hmm. What would you say inspires you today? I think the 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 uh, you know my motivation. What keeps me really going is a couple of things. One is um, I have seven grandchildren. Mm. I have a younger, uh, a five year old grandchild who is exactly like me when I was a kid. And, <laughs> except I, he's like my mirror. You know, I. He's, <laughs> Things in the mirror are as closer than they appear. Mm -hmm. And he is he is right there with me. And and I see when he acts and how people react to him, how people must have reacted to me, but they didn't have any idea what was going on. Right. At least now we have some labels. I don't know whether he has ADHD or not, but he has a lot of the behaviors that I had. Mm. And um and I, I think that that gives me so much uh, gratification in a sense mm -hmm. that I can read the room, that I can I can be there for him and for my grandkids and to offer them some of this information. So that that really inspires me a lot to, to make sure I get this writing done and the memoir. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I'm, I'm really having a great time in life. Uh, I think it's uh, the more I keep suing my, every day I, she's in my mind. And it's yeah. been it's been a way that uh, it's actually comforting, and uh, I I I treasure that. I don't want to ever lose that. Mm -hmm. the woman That's I'm beautiful. with now also honors that as well. In fact, she actively talks to me about Sue and and our relationship. And mm -hmm. So. That's where I get most of my inspiration from is the family now and the people close to me and and mm -hmm. getting rid of some of those energy draining. Yeah. Vampire energy vampires, I call them. Right. Uh, my dad is the same. I have I have six grandchildren, so he's got six great grandchildren, 
And uh, my youngest son, he and his girlfriend just had twin girls. They're five months old now, I think, five or six. And um, he spends a lot of time with them over there, especially because my son is working there. They've agreed that, you know, if it works where his girlfriend can stay home and be with the kids for as long as possible, as long as they can financially do it. And so my dad will pop over during the week. Um, one day during the week, he brings lunch. He spends hours with her and helps her with the babies. Um, and they have a, okay. a three-year-old as well. And he just loves it. Anytime um, the kids are at my hive, one of my grandchildren, I have half time. And, and then the other two, I have them on other weekends. And so when they're here, um, he's all about coming and hanging with them and being with them. It makes him happy. And that that definitely is his... I think part of his purpose now where, where he wasn't Good. really sure, you know. Yeah. And if he and he recognizes that, he can get more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He does recognize it. He does recognize yeah, that we talk about it a lot. Excellent. Um, so, I mean, it kind of sounds like it'd be safe to say that you have emerged on the other side with uh, with a renewed sense of purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working on it. I'm getting there. Um it's, you know, I think it's, it's always going to be hard. Um, but you know, I, I liked the, the distinction, uh, that Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor said about grief and grieving. Um, and so now I'm recognizing where some of that's coming from and I'm able to manage it a little bit better. Holidays are always hard. Um, but, um, and this year it's hard, but it's still manageable, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) it's still manageable. Yeah. But I, I understand. And, 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 you know, one thing I treasure is that I no longer have fear in my heart to talk about what I'm feeling mm-hmm. and about Sue mm-hmm. and about our relationship and how the, and with the kids and, and, and if it's not my job, you know, to stop somebody from crying. Right. I mean, if my kids break out and crying and stuff like that. That's not my job. It's their job. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just want to be as honest as I can. And in fact, and and not stop expressing those things. Right. So I feel that that's been a major accomplishment in my life because I that I, I can't say how much how different I am now from the way I was. Uh and 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 I like the new me. That's excellent. That's awesome. I think uh some people who are listening to this, uh, you probably are exactly who they needed to hear today. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Well, friends, we have come to the end of our time today. When we lose somebody, we will grieve forever. I say that all the time. We'll never get over it or move on ever. Uh, We simply learn to live with the loss. We will always come across a question that will stump us. We will always have that inside voice as we navigate this new normal, but our lives do not need to lack purpose or joy. I have both joy and sadness. I'm finding purpose and love from a deeper place now. I I live more intentionally. I don't remember the first time I was able to laugh after the deaths of my mom and Jasmine and Matthew, but I did eventually laugh and I laugh now. I do remember telling my dad once that I felt guilty when I have good days. It felt like a betrayal to my children. I have many good days now without the guilt. Today, I feel and live freer. I'm setting better boundaries. I am learning and experiencing things I've always wanted to try. And most importantly, I say this on every podcast, I'm kind to myself. You have to be kind to yourself. This doesn't mean that I have forgotten what I've lost. I'm just coming to a place where I can now live with the loss as I work to rebuild 
and find joy in my new life. This honors their lives. It honors their memories. We must redefine and rediscover joy within ourselves and around us. In the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. What lies within you? Dan, thank you for being a part of today's episode. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. We hope you found this discussion inspiring and that maybe we've been able to shed some light on a challenging journey. That what was spoken today gives you the courage to take those first steps towards a brighter tomorrow. This is Beyond Goodbye, where the journey to finding life after loss begins. Subscribe now with your favorite podcast site and let's continue walking this path together. Bye, all. Thank you.